Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, September 2nd, 2015. And this interview is sponsored by Don Lloyd, one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, Don, for supporting us over on Patreon and allowing us not only to continue the podcast, but continue doing the Game of Crowdfunding series. That's right. I am back. This is not Paul. This is Jeff doing an interview for the Game of Crowdfunding. I do still do them, in case anybody was wondering. And so I've got an interesting one for you tonight, though. I'm not going to be doing the normal talking to somebody that's got a project on Kickstarter right now. I'm not even going to be doing, say, you know, every once in a while we do like somebody that's doing a comic book or a video game. No, I've actually got a guest on that I'm pretty excited to talk to. And it may actually be a mini series that we end up doing as I line up some other people because this is an awesome person that I met at Gen Con. I met a lot of cool people at Gen Con. And they are kind of around the Kickstarter realm and do some things involving Kickstarter, but they're not running projects themselves. But these are people that you may want to know about and may want to know how to get a hold of if you need to. So uh, I will leave it at that and say, who is joining me on Skype tonight? It is Zachary Strubeck, a game lawyer, and I'm a podcaster as well from the Legal Moves podcast. Yes, that's right. Zachary is joining me, and we're going to have a conversation around him being the game lawyer and what he does within the gaming industry as a lawyer, and of course, how that ties into what he does with uh, with Kickstarter creators as well. Yep. Also, like he just said, he's got this awesome podcast called The Legal Moves, where he interviews people uh, within the gaming industry. Actually, let me let me turn it over to you, because you'll do a, a lot better job than I will of explaining what your podcast is about. I'm not so sure about that, but uh, it's called Legal Moves, and it's yeah, basically about the business and legal side of game development. We've mostly focused on board games, but I'm trying to line up a bunch of interviews with indie game developers, video game developers, mobile game developers. So uh, it should sort of run the gamut for all types of games, and I think most of the information applies to everything. So it's a good listen no matter what. Yes. So that is amazing. Uh, he's got, uh, what is it? You said you just recently released number 11? Yeah, number 11 uh, with Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games and game designers Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley talking about their latest game, Between Two Cities. So we talk about the, the Kickstarter and you know, <laughs> your your audience should love that, right? We, we discuss <laughs> the Kickstarter, the expectations for the Kickstarter and some of the other issues. Uh, we touch on the legal issues that they faced with contracts and intellectual property too. So it's a pretty interesting episode. Check it out. Yeah, you've had some some great episodes. Of course, you've had uh, my friend JT Smith on as well. So you yep. get to talk about the manufacturing side and the print on demand stuff uh, within Absolutely. the industry. So that was cool. He's had a lapse of judgment though, because at some point he's going to have me on. So that episode, um, at <laughs> least give him the download for it. But don't worry about it. You don't have to actually listen to it. So yeah, please. Yeah, much appreciated. <laughs> give him the download. <laughs> All right. You know, I've got three warm up questions that I usually do in these kind of deals and uh they're they're pretty hard hitting and I know <laughs> you're not used to hard hitting questions. I'm really not. Since you're in such a, a soft and isolated industry. That's right. <laughs> but podcasting, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Podcasting is just ridiculous. So, here we go. This is all part of the All Us Geeks podcast. It's we kind of call it a standalone segment. So, one of the things we like to ask people is, what makes you a geek, sir? 
What makes me a geek? Man, I mean, going back, I'm 37 years old now. Since I was a kid, I've been reading fantasy books and <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons and playing video games. I mean, I, I've never not been a geek. So although I'll tell you, <laughs> sometimes going to these conventions makes me feel like less of a geek. Maybe I'm not worthy. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Definitely, I've never worn elf years, but I respect those that do. So, All right. And then one of the things we like to point out at All Us Geeks is that you can really geek out about anything. Absolutely. One of the questions I like to ask is, do you have a geek level passion for something that, say, the typical person would not necessarily consider geek related? <laughs> a few things. My bachelor's degree is in history, so I could geek out about, at least at one point before I went to law school, I could geek out pretty hard about first century Palestine and the Romans and the early Christian era, which was maybe a weird thing to geek out about, but it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty big deal for me in history. I can also geek out pretty hard about trademark law. If the, that's something that that seems pretty geeky and why, uh, the Star Wars prequels are no good. I think that's another big one. <laughs> Nice. And we've already kind of covered what my third question usually is, because a lot of times when I'm talking to game designers, I'll ask them if they have a day job besides being a game designer. But mm -hmm. uh, so we'll save that one for a little bit because we'll we'll definitely be talking about that throughout this conversation. All right. So one thing I got, like, like I kind of said in the intro, like you and I got to meet each other at this past Gen Con, which I thought was pretty cool. You were actually in the audience of a panel that I was sitting on. And yep. I remember very distinctly, like, I, I one, I can't remember exactly. You must have asked one of the questions and we got some clarification from you. And that's when we learned that you were a lawyer. No, actually, someone had asked something about copyright. And Jamie Stegmaier, who I've worked with, said, hey, we've got a lawyer on the audience. Why don't you ask him? And so, of course, I, the, every all attention turned to me and I could answer a few questions, even from panelists. Yeah. I think, uh, I, see, John from Genius Games asked the question. Right. See, and I... I guess I, I remember Jamie stepping in, but I remember we knew that ahead of time. So Jamie must either pointed that out or something because we talked to you before that. Because when the question came up, uh, right, it was directed for some. It was it was a copyright question. It was directed mm -hmm. to myself and Joel Eddy as game reviewers. And I think almost at the exact same moment, myself and John Coview kind of looked over at you and said. <laughs> well, we've got a lawyer in the audience. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then I think, ja yeah, and then Jamie maybe voiced it a little, because I think John and I kind of almost said it under our breath to each other and kind of pointed at you, and then Jamie <laughs> kind of just gave the answer that we were both thinking. But I, I remember distinctly, like, John and I kind of looking at each other and going, why are the game reviewers answering this? <laughs> right. Well, it's a little sad for me because I had just done a panel, I think, the day before, or not a panel because it was only me, a workshop, uh, and only four people showed up. So all of those people that had legal questions uh, should have showed up for that. <laughs> well, it, it was awesome to have you in the audience. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it was, it was the second or third panel that I had, been that I attended. That was the one I was on, but I attended a couple. And of course, inevitably, some of those questions end up coming up. So yeah, it is unfortunate right. that some of those people maybe didn't get that. That's the thing about Gen Con, right? There are so many things going on that you sometimes miss something that you yep, maybe want absolutely. to be a part of. That's okay. I, understand. I forgive the, the gaming audience. <laughs> that's right. Because um, we can have a little mini seminar right here, I guess. Absolutely. I was just at PAX, actually, and uh, PAX Prime up in Seattle. And I was at a indie mega booth panel where they were talking about uh, it's a section of the, the show floor where indies are showcased. And 
two, I think two of the people asking questions at the end were asking them legal questions. And I was sitting at the back of the line, the, ready to ask my own question. And fi- when I finally got up there, I said, well, I'm a game lawyer. So I mean, anyone has questions, you know, you're feel, feel free to ask me, but they had given good advice. So it was, it was good. Is this a tactic that you use often? <laughs> you, no comment. You, you make sure you, that you're in the audience for trolling panels, uh, <laughs> looking for clients. No, not really. I, I enjoy going to these panels cause, because I advise a lot of clients, not just on legal things, but it, uh, business issues, right? How to grow their business and how to, how to run their kickstarts even. Uh, so I'm going to all these panels to get all this information from guys like you so that I can then pass it on to my clients at hundreds of dollars an hour. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the same reason that I attended a bunch of them that I didn't. Actually, I was originally not supposed to be on that panel. Mm-hmm. I had just happened to sit in the audience of the panel, I think the day before that John had put on. And then okay. him and I kind of started getting, kind of like you and I started talking afterwards. I kind of started yep. talking to John and all of a sudden I'm heading for the door and he's like, Hey, do you want to be on a panel tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like very last minute thing for me. So, it, it, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I, but I do the same thing. Like I, this Gen Con for me was almost strictly panels other than some appointments that I had made to go either visit booths. People wanted me to come by or to mm-hmm. demo games outside of certain times or whatever. Beyond that, like I didn't really do any gaming. I actually just went panel to panel to panel for the same reason that you're talking about. I mean, like, like you and I talked about a little bit at Gen Con and then a little bit before we started recording. I mean, I do Kickstarter consulting myself. So right. a lot of times I'll sit in on these panels to see if maybe something that I haven't thought about gets brought up so that I can go back and research it some more. Cause really end of the day, I kind of seem to think that people that bring me on as a consultant aren't necessarily I mean, they could do it themselves if they really wanted to. I, th- I think I'm more along the lines of let me do the research for you so you can attend to whatever right. you need to. Right, or right. some, a lot of people have issues with the marketing side. So I've done research on the marketing side, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's really like you can do this yourself, but if you don't have time, I understand why you would hire me kind of thing. And I always, right. I actually approach it like that. Like, have you done this and this and this and this? You know, there are ways you could not give me money. I, again, this isn't my this isn't my full time career, so I I can afford to say that. <laughs> and inevitably, it usually comes down with, yeah, I just really am struggling with the marketing, or I really don't have time for that piece of it. I do I do understand I could do it, but I need assistance, and that's when I'm like, okay, that is what I'm here for. So definitely, we can work together. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the things that I do are things that regular people could do. You just have to go out and learn what makes a good trademark. How do you register a trademark? I mean, it just takes time. And so what you're doing is you're buying your time back, time that's better spent playtesting your game or developing your game. I mean, basically doing anything but learning how to write a contract or something, right? So yes, it may cost. uh, There may be a cost involved with it, but it's much more valuable when you think about that, uh, the opportunity costs that you're not spending. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's actually one of the things that I tend to kind of point out as well. Like there are a lot of forums or a lot of groups. There's a lot of, you know, across the board that are dealing with Kickstarter now. And then there's so much information out there. Right. One of my most recent clients, I do know, like he was on a Facebook group looking for somebody like me and somebody mm-hmm. pointed him in my direction. But I happened to be in that thread that he was asking for help. And so many people kind of jumped on him and said, don't do it. You don't need help. You don't need this. And I was kind of looking through the thread and very much saw that he, yeah, he's, he did X, Y, and Z, but he knew where he, he couldn't 
maybe put enough effort into or put enough time into to take right. away from something else, something like that. And one of my answers is always, and I think I even jumped in on that th- particular thread, and it's like, look, everybody that's jumping on Skype, there are legitimate reasons for people to hire other people as consultants. I do agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Uh, and I, and I do think, you know, if you can do it yourself, by all means, go for it. But successful entrepreneurs do this all the time. Absolutely. They sit down, they look at their strengths and their weaknesses or where they really need to focus. Uh, it, it may be a strength. It just may be that's not where their focus needs to be to be successful right now. And when they know those either weaknesses or places that they can't focus right now, they hire somebody else to take care of that so they can focus on the thing they really need to. Absolutely. I mean, lawyers hire other, we hire other lawyers for a reason, because even though we technically can do all of this stuff, I don't specialize in, I don't know, tax law. So I would hire a tax advisor. I wouldn't try to learn everything about tax law myself. It just doesn't make any sense. My right. Time is more valuable, right? Yeah. And that's even like, I've had several artists on the show that mm-hmm. have been designing their own games and to the outside world that's always like oh man that's the best of everything you don't have to hire anybody you don't have to do <laughs> and inevitably most of the ones that i've had on especially for larger projects have said i've had to hire out some of the art because i can't do it all myself right so same same concept yep. <laughs> we're looking at okay i told you i just have mass you know wherever the conversation takes me i warned you about that up front zach that's totally fine it's like jazz, right? <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you this. You know, obviously, I'm going to assume early on you kind of figured that you wanted to go down the lawyer path and, and went no, that route, or, would, or that would be an incorrect assumption. What it? All right. All right. This so, this is my third career, actually. Really? Okay. Yes. Well, then, then help me out there. See, now here, here's where, here's where uh, a little bit of maybe my misconception here is coming in. Uh, and I don't know if you and I talked about this, but my fiance is a lawyer. <laughs> Okay. And that was like her end all be all. That's what she wanted to be. So I I may be a little clouded in that aspect. So, all right, let's, uh, let's hear about how you decided to get into the field of law. Okay. Well, I was, when I graduated from high school, I went to school for animation. So I was actually a cartoon traditional animator for a few years. I worked for a game company. Uh, that did children's games, uh, a lot of licensed stuff. So we did Barbie games and Fisher Price type stuff. Nothing too exciting, but you know, it, it was fun. I got to draw cartoons for a living. That was, that was awesome. That place closed down and I was sort of looking for a job, which I couldn't find. So I don't think I was actually very good as an animator, <laughs> unfortunately. So I, I became a blackjack dealer in a casino. So I did that for about six years. Uh, all the while I was going to school to, well, first I wanted to work for the CIA and then I decided to go to law school. I'm not entirely sure why I decided to go to law school, but it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, luckily, I actually like being a lawyer because a lot of people that went to law school end up not really liking the job, which is kind of sad and which is, you know, not to say that your fiance will have that experience, but it's, I think, pretty common, you know, because the actual day to day practice of being a lawyer isn't always very exciting and it's difficult to get jobs. I mean, there's lots of problems with it. It's a big commitment to take on if you don't really know what, what you want to do. Right. So I luckily fell into this and I decided about halfway through law school that I wanted to be on my own work, uh, you know, start my own business. So I started writing and became a game lawyer. This is a, uh, I don't know, it's weird, but I do have experience in games. So I, I know, I know the industry. I 
can sort of speak the same language for the most part. So, and I love working with game developers. They're awesome. So both board game developers and video game developers. So it sounds a little bit to me like you maybe don't have that issue that a lot of people maybe going through law school have because you, you kind of just decided halfway through law school that you were going to kind of niche into the game lawyer kind of stuff. Cause I think one of the things like my fiance's changed jobs now and now she feels like she's a lawyer. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because before she was in private practice and Mm -hmm. she really kind of felt like at times, I think that, you know, none of this is what I went to school for. You know, I'm not, I'm not Perry Mason, you know, kind of stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's, it's more like domestic and, and divorce and, and, wills and all that kind of stuff and now she works for the county and now she kind of feels like she's back into what she went to law school for or what they were teaching her in law school so i think maybe that's where some of the disconnect kind of comes from but it sounds to me like you were able to not have that disconnect because you figured out halfway through law school this is where i want to kind of focus when i when i'm said and done and want to start my own business. Yeah, I also realized that, I mean, what you learn in law school doesn't actually really help you be a lawyer. It, it teaches you the theories, but you don't, I mean, I took a class called Wills and Trusts, but I couldn't write your will. I have no idea. I don't know how to set up a trust. They don't actually teach you how to do things. They just teach you the sort of uh, 100 mile high theories about everything. So you understand how the law works. You don't necessarily know how to implement it. So our contracts class didn't really prepare us to write contracts. They prepare you to litigate contracts. So that's not what I do. I'm not a litigator. I just draft contracts. So that's something I've had to learn both on my own and by working with good lawyers who do that kind of work. And, you know, you just pick it up as you go along. The more the more contracts you write, the better you get at them. And I think I've heard my fiance say a few times that she really wished part of law school really like the some of the requirements were more like psychology classes and stuff like that. <laughs> it would help. Well, I have a, I have a second degree in dispute resolution. So uh, mediation and alternative dispute resolution stuff is my <laughs> second thing. So I think, I think that's sort of a career that comes later after you have more experience as a lawyer, then you become a mediator and you can charge actually even more. And it's, it's sort of a good gig to have. Actually helping people solve their problems and come to settlements. I think it's, it's good. Instead of being on one side or the other where you have to argue one side, you're sort of, uh, you know, getting them to come to an agreement, which is actually the good part of being a lawyer. <laughs> sort of distilled into one job. <laughs> so coming out of law school, you, it sounds like, I mean, did you start your business right away? I did. It's funny. I found out that I passed the bar. And I went rather than waiting, I think it was a week later for the actual ceremony at school. I went to the UPS store and got the notary there to swish, witness my swearing in. So I, I became a lawyer right there at the, at the UPS store. And <laughs> nice. I had a, I had my first client the next day. I needed, needed some trademark work. So I jumped right in. It was good. <laughs> awesome. All yeah. right. So, you know, we, we know you've got a little bit of a background in the gaming side of things and, and I guess maybe that kind of helped steer you that way. But are there any other kind of factors that kind of came into you deciding that you wanted to kind of be known as quote unquote, the gaming lawyer, unbelievable amounts of money. You can't even believe it. Actually, that's a lie. (laughs) It turns out that uh, most game developers don't have a lot of money and that's okay. I don't mind. I actually, I really like, I like the industry. 
I love working with developers. I don't know. It's just a, I don't know. There's something about it. I love, I studied entertainment law and wanted to work in movies or animation actually before while I was still in law school. But games is a section. There's a ton of entertainment lawyers that do all that stuff. Games, however, there's, you know, you can count on two hands how many quote unquote game lawyers there are out there. There really aren't that many that advertise them as such. Now, the bigger companies, they use bigger law firms and they have, you know, these high priced lawyers. However, there's this huge surge of indie development. The process of development and publication has been so democratized lately with Kickstarter and with, you know, self-publishing on various consoles and, and on Steam that there's just no one serving this group and the group is growing every day. There's new indie developers every day. So it's pretty exciting to be able to work with that niche, that ever growing niche. I love it. So I don't know if, or I missed it, but how long have you been a lawyer now then? How long has it been since you've started your business? We're going on, we're close to two years now. So not a huge amount of time, but I've learned a lot, especially being sort of thrown into the deep end with uh, having to start my, well, not having to, but choosing to start my own practice and working with clients face-to-face rather than the usual route is to work at a big law firm or even a mid-sized law firm. And you're an associate who's sort of a cog on a wheel and you, you know, you get some things, but you're not generally interfacing with clients. That's more the partner's jobs. The way I do it, I'm, I'm the point of contact for the client. So client emails, they're emailing me and I'll talk to them. I do the consultation and I love that. I can basically stick with them through the whole process. I'm not going to shuffle them off to my associate or, or my intern or something like that. So you came on the scene. Kickstarter was pretty well established and, and a thing. Yeah. Um, it, you, so you didn't kind of get involved during the wild, wild west period of, <laughs> no. uh, of Kickstarter. No. So how has Kickstarter affected your business and, and clientele then? In a lot of cases, it gives clients the money to actually hire a lawyer and take care of the business side of things that generally they wouldn't be able to if they were bootstrapping from their credit cards. I mean, some do, but a lot of times when you get that big influx of money and you've actually done the planning and you know what money you have to spend, you can hire the artists and you can do all that stuff that you really should be doing as a business, right? Because let's not forget that when you're putting that product out there and people are buying it from you, you are a business. It's one thing that I think a lot of people neglect. It's no longer fun and games. It's games, but it's a games business. No. Yeah, and I think that that's actually one like something that JT and I recently covered on the Game Crafter podcast, where even if you are going to Kickstarter and your entire notion is I have this one game that I want to get out into the universe, mm-hmm. we kind of tried to stress the fact that as soon as you decided to go to Kickstarter, as soon as you got started started that process at least for the next year or so, you are a business. Even if you didn't right. mean to be. Yep. Uh, you, you've gone <laughs> right. down that path. So you need to figure that out before you actually launch that Kickstarter and Absolutely. take that into consideration. You are a business. Even if it's for that year, you're a business. Yeah. I mean, you got to really, it's, you have to come to that realization that you have taken people's money, right? And how would you feel if you gave someone money and they, screwed around with it and, and lost it or, or I don't know, delivered something that wasn't up to snuff. So that's a big responsibility. And I think it needs to be treated like that. We end up having a lot of like indie game designers and, and stuff that listen to this series. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously a lot of people that are using Kickstarter, sometimes they tune in to learn either about new projects or to learn about what other people have to say about Kickstarter or the path right. that they've taken. You clearly deal with people that use Kickstarter quite a bit these days. So do you have anything that you would kind of share with people as far as advice on kind of getting into the Kickstarter realm? 
Hmm. From a legal perspective or just from a, I mean, because just generally from a business perspective, a lot of the same information applies or the same uh, advice applies that probably other people give. You know, you have to start building up for that Kickstarter a year in advance. As soon as you get the idea, whether you're doing a board game, whether you're doing a mobile game or or a game you're going to release on PC, you need to start blogging. You need to start building an email list or a Facebook group or any of that stuff. You know, use social media, start reaching out and making relationships with the community and guys like you who are podcasting about this stuff. Because if you launch your Kickstarter and it's day one and no one knows about you, well, guess what? You're not going to fund. I mean, some do and it's a miracle. But if you're not treating it like I think I think the marketing side of things is where most developers just don't have that skill set and have no idea what to do. And that's why I like that guys like Jamie Stegmaier are writing kickstarterlessons.com. Uh, and you can check that out and you can basically read all those. And it's a it's a play by play guide to running your Kickstarter. But it starts six months to a year before you even launch your campaign. Definitely. And like I said, that's a lot of people that approach me. It's probably 90% on the marketing side of things where they're, mm-hmm. they're having issues. And, right. and those are the people I really got to commend for knowing that up front and, and looking yeah. for somebody instead of coming in, you know, later exactly. and saying, Hey, you know, I'm two, three weeks into this Kickstarter. I don't know why it's not doing something right now. Can you help me figure that out? And by that time, yeah. it's too late for me to really get involved, probably. Well, I asked on Reddit recently, what is everyone's biggest problem in indie game development? And this was for video games. Uh, I would say half of them said finding the time to do it was the big problem. And the other half said marketing and getting people to know that your game exists was the other half. So, well, Kickstarter, in my opinion, takes care of both as long as you do them right. Right. You get the money that you could either quit your job or work part time so you can actually live your life while you're developing the game, which is very cool. And... Well, I mean, you're being forced to create that community and do that marketing up until the Kickstarter launches. So, right. Know, seems like a, a good way to do it. I actually recently heard somebody or was listening to somebody about how they got some advice that Kickstarter was a great marketing tool. And that, that made me cringe a little bit. <laughs> cause, cause, uh, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't <laughs> agree with that. I hope, hopefully that wasn't what you got from what I just said. I was, no, 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 okay. no. It's uh, actually, I'm, uh, I'm just kind of expanding on kind of what you said because you right. clearly said, you know, six months to a year and, yep. and building that community before you launch your Kickstarter. And that's something I like to say all the time. I know that's something that Richard Bliss likes to say all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Richard usually says something along the lines of if you're, you're not getting the funds, you don't have a funding problem, you have a crowd problem. Right. I always kind of say, Kickstarter is not your marketing. That's kind of my line. Your marketing yep. starts before Kickstarter. Yes, you can get a little bit of marketing out of Kickstarter, but it is not your marketing goal. Your marketing yep. starts before you ever launched. <laughs> so I really I, need to get a catchphrase. I think uh, <laughs> that's where I'm missing out. There you go. Yeah, it's, you're 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 a podcaster. You got to have a catchphrase. <laughs> did, did you not? Is, did you not jambled. get the handbook? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll forge you the handbook. Please forward it to me. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Let's talk about the podcast a little bit. What made you decide to kind of go down the podcast route? I've been listening to podcasts since, I don't know, 2002, maybe 2003. I started listening to video game podcasts on oneup.com. I don't know. There's so many out there that I mentioned some of these podcasts to people and they, they'd never heard of them and I figured they were super popular. Yeah, but I've been listening to podcasts forever and I've always wanted to do it. For a long time, I hated the sound of my voice. I still think I sound kind of like a Muppet. I, I, I think that's a common thing that people need to get over. But I have a, uh, 
a need to talk to people. Well, actually, let me tell you. So I'm a what they call a digital nomad. I never actually stay in one place. I'm sort of moving around all the time and my work is all virtual. My office is virtual. My conversations are through Skype. I don't usually have face-to-face conversations with clients. Uh, all the work I do is done remotely. So I actually don't have any gamer friends that I hang out with in real life. So it's nice to have this weekly time when I can actually talk to people about games, about the game business, which is something that I really don't ever do in real life. So that's one of the biggest impetuses for me starting the podcast is to just have a platform where I can talk about this stuff. And of course, there's marketing for my law practice, for my blog, all of that stuff. I'm going to be creating a course, I think, for game developers pretty soon which we'll get to. Maybe we can come come back and uh, have another <laughs> conversation when that comes out. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, all that stuff. I mean, there's so many reasons to do a podcast. It, it was just a matter of you know sitting on my butt, sending an email to a bunch of developers that I knew and, and getting people signed up to uh, to record. I mean, it's super easy. You just hit, I bought call recorder for Skype and you, know, you just hit record and throw some music on the beginning and end and there it is. You have a podcast. There's a, uh, if it's more conversational like this, an interview type of podcast, it's way easier. And I would say, for those that are going to be releasing games, a podcast is a great way to do it. Or, or just, you know, you have conversations on YouTube or any any kind of platform where you can talk about the development of your game or talk to other developers. You're making new friendships and relationships with other developers, and that all helps in your marketing, right? And then when people see your game, they can go back to your website and they see this whole website full of podcasts and full of blog posts and other stuff conversations, information, value that you've brought to the community. And that's the kind of stuff that really helps your marketing. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I try to kind of emphasize as well. In fact, I've just recently started having those kind of conversations with one of my clients and it was around what would he be comfortable with as his outlet? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, if you're, if you're not keen on writing, then, you know, don't do it in blog form. So we we had a conversation around what he was comfortable with and what he thought he could contribute, and I I completely agree. I I'm very much in the uh, in the camp of give back to the community. The first time you know the first time the community hears from you, it shouldn't be hey here's my project, give me money. Right. Uh, it very much should be you genuinely getting involved with the communities that you know eventually will support you, but that you are part of that community. And that really kind of boils back down to when we're talking about that six months to a year, it's mm-hmm. because it's not an overnight thing. It's not oh, a, absolutely. you're not just right. going to show up one day and, and, and knock on a forum door or whatever and say, Hey, I'm here now. Um, love yep, me. Right. <laughs> and right. by, by the way, in a month, I'm going to be asking you for money. <laughs> uh, that's just not how it works. You really do mm-hmm. have to genuinely get involved. You have to, genuinely want to contribute to the communities that you get involved with and on many levels one just to kind of be that helpful person but two if you're not genuinely into it that's going to kind of show and you're going to kind of taper off from it so so you're really not going to build that community if you're seriously not involved in being a part of that community yep I feel that way about the podcast I mean I'm on episode 11 it's a weekly podcast and I'm starting to worry what if like in Three months, I, I start hating to do this, and and but uh, every time I do one of these interviews, I absolutely love it. I'm having a great time, so that kind of uh, gives me the confidence that I'm not going to just stop my podcast after a couple more weeks. I think, yeah, you really have to love it. I love blogging. I love writing stuff about game law and game business issues. So I just keep blogging, and it's actually fun for me. It doesn't feel like a job. 
the lawyering, that feels like a job. You know, writing <laughs> contracts kind of feels like a job. It's sort of fun, which is a little weird, but definitely the, the podcasting and the blogging and all that stuff is, is super fun. I love it. Well, you've made it past episode seven, which is the magic the cutoff. Yeah, that's the okay. magic number that a lot of people point to. If a lot of I kind of cheated, though, <laughs> I, episodes uh, three, four and five were all really one conversation that I had with uh, the guys from Overworld Games and uh, the oh, Forbidden okay. Limb podcast. Yep. So I split that into three and then I decided I would just sort of do longer conversations and cut them up into into smaller bits. But, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's okay, the okay. format you decided to do. But, okay. uh, and, and you still kind of done the, uh, editing side of things, which is always yeah, put in the work. Yeah. Uh, right. Which is, yeah, that, that's the thing that I always kind of point out to people, uh, when asking me about it. It's, you know, a lot of people tell people just record a couple and see what you think. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, you know what? Go one step further. You don't have to put it out, but record it and edit it. Because edit it. if get you ready. get through yeah. the editing process, yeah. <laughs> and you still right. want to do it, then you found something that you want to do. <laughs> well, the thing is, it, when you talk, and especially on my first podcast, I was saying I have a lot of vocal tics that I didn't notice until I actually listened to myself. And so you you have this temptation to edit all that stuff out and make yourself sound perfect. But really, I listen to other people who have those same tics, and I don't even notice it unless I'm specifically listening for it. So I think people, even with me, I don't think people notice that I say, you know, and um, and <laughs> all these things throughout the the time I'm talking. Yeah, see, I, I'm still a, a fairly heavily editor. Oh, man. I'll leave some stuff in, but I definitely go through and do some heavy editing still. But it's kind of funny because you, you're right. I mean, you're not alone, especially with your first couple podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember the very first one that I did, and I've told this story a few times. So um, if you've been listening for a while, I apologize, listener. But <laughs> but the very first one I ever did, and you know, the very first few that you do, you are usually like super serious editing just you're going to edit everything. If if you're ever going mm-hmm. to really get just nitpicky about editing, it's usually within your first month. Right. And that's true. But I did. So here I am and I'm listening, you know, I, and you know, you've got the headphones on, so it's right in your ears and you're listening and you're like, Oh man. And you cut and, and you're listening to certain sections, like five, six, seven times in a row kind of thing. And by the time I got done, I edit, I got it edited, published it, threw my headphones off. I looked across the room at my fiance and I was like, let's not talk the rest of this weekend because I (laughs) seriously can't stand the sound of my voice right now. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) All right. So you were blogging first before you did the podcast? Yeah, I had my website all set up for November 22nd, the the day of the bar exam results. And (laughs) it was ready to go, but it was not live. So I, as soon as I found out I was a real lawyer, I, I hit go and there it was. I hit the ground running. I had like five or six blogs written and posted them and they're awful now reading back at, on them. But you know, you have to start somewhere. It's one of those things you just learn over, over years. Uh, you get better at it. You get quicker and you, it becomes more readable and you become more casual. Like your, your personality starts to shine through in your writing and your podcasting, whatever it is. The more you do it, the more you sort of feel comfortable with yourself and your own voice. You have to find that. I mean, it doesn't happen right away. You, you're probably going to start off trying to imitate some other writing. Like my background was in legal writing and writing contracts. So it's a little stiffer in the beginning, but then you start to realize. You know, I can take it easy. I'm talking, I'm not talking to other lawyers. I'm not talking to judges. I'm talking to people, regular people who are developing games. So what do they want to hear and how do they want to hear it? And yes, there's some legalese that's unavoidable, but I try to make everything so other human beings can read it. (laughs) 
you know, I kind of said towards the start of the show that, you know, I've got this little bit of a series that may happen for people involved in Kickstarter or wanting to get involved in Kickstarter will maybe <laughs> want to know or contact or, and that aspect. So from your perspective, from your aspect, from you being on the show, what are some reasons that an indie game designer would need to get a hold of you? Okay. Well, there's five things that I usually tell developers when I do a talk or, or something else. And the first one is you should be forming some sort of company or separate business entity before you put yourself out there for business. Because, and you may not think of it, but there are a million ways, well, maybe not a million, but there are a lot of ways where you could get sued. And then you, as the business, if you were, if you were the business personally, you could be personally liable for the damages on a lawsuit. So if you have a house, you have a car, you have a a lot of savings or something, you know, if there's a judgment against you for copyright infringement, even if it was inadvertent, you could be on the hook for that. So what you do and what any lawyer would recommend is to form some sort of LLC or corporation, something that's separate from yourself, especially if you're working with another person. So you're not the only designer. Let's say you have you have two or three people working on your team. You should definitely be forming some sort of separate business entity so that you aren't all three personally liable for any of these uh, judgments that could be against you. Right. And sometimes you know, you see it on Kickstarter a few times in the game industry where people will come up with a title and, and create their game and they start getting cease and desist letters and other problems with trademark or, or copyright. You know, it happens and you may not do it on purpose, but sometimes it's uh, it's just the reality of the law. And if you don't know and you don't have someone like me advising you on the name of your game or the content of your game or you know any number of other things, then you could be running afoul of others. And that's actually the second thing. <laughs> make sure that you're not infringing on other people's intellectual property. The third thing would be make sure you, you own all the content that's in your game. If you are working with artists, if you don't have some sort of written contract or they're not your employee, then they own the copyright to your art that's in your game. So what if five years from now they say, you know what, I, I, I don't want you to use that art anymore. Well, now you have to stop printing the game and you have to go and find another artist, but maybe your audience loved that art. So you need to make sure that at the very least you have a license as long as you want to be publishing that game. I don't know. And there are other things like if you're going to print games for children or have a website that has like children's indie games on it or something like that, you know, all that stuff needs to be compliant with COPPA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. There's all kinds of other federal laws and state laws that you have to deal with. So making sure that you're compliant with all that stuff is another thing that a lawyer like me will help you with. Excellent. That's it. Well, <laughs> there's more. There's more. And, and it depends. You know, if you own, let's say you wrote a book or you've created some sort of uh, artwork and you want to be licensing it to a game developer, you contact a lawyer and get that in writing because you may think that you're friends in the beginning, but as soon as the money starts coming in, that's when fights can begin. If you, if you don't have a good understanding of what the deal is and how to get out of the deal and all kinds of other aspects, how the payment works, all of that stuff. If, right. if you're sort of leaving it to chance, then there could be big problems down the road and we don't want to see that. So we'll get it in writing. And then the other thing we're kind of seeing a lot of here recently with Kickstarter being as popular and successful as it kind of has mm -hmm. been is the kind of springing up of indie small game publishers as well. And I think one of the things that somebody in that aspect is struggles with a little in the beginning would be the kind of the contract side of things. So you have actually mm -hmm. a service to help out people like that as well, correct? I do. Actually, so I have a website you can use. It's called indiegenerator.com. 
So IndieGenerator.com. It's for indie game developers to basically create contracts on the website. So you just fill out a questionnaire, you go through and pick a bunch of options and things depending on what the, the deal is that you've negotiated. And it'll spit out a PDF that gets emailed to you and you can sign it. It's super easy. And you can even, well, the cool thing about it is it'll work on a mobile device, right? It's a mobile responsive website. So if you are doing face-to-face business, you can whip out your iPhone and just fill out the contract and answer all the questions and it'll get emailed to you right after. So it's pretty awesome. It's cheaper than hiring a lawyer, but it's not free, of course. But uh, I do have a coupon code that will last until the end of the year, which is IndieGen50Off. So if you type that as the coupon code when you go to build a contract, you will uh, you'll get fifty percent off what you what you generate there. Nice. And the one thing I kind of also want to point out is this has a lot of contracts that are specifically around things in the game industry, and these are right. things that a lot of people have looked for and have maybe found rough examples, but they don't ever quite fit because right. it's not, you, you might find something that's talking about art, but it's not talking about licensing an art in a board game or a video exactly. game or something like that. So the nice thing about your site is these are structured around those very specific things that, that people are struggling with right now in the game industry. Yep. I think the big one is the work for hire agreement, which maybe the the name of it isn't great. I'm actually going to split it up maybe into an artist agreement and a programming agreement and music agreement. So they're all sort of blown out only because work for hire is basically it's a copyright term where if somebody's an independent contractor, but they create work work for you that you've specially commissioned it, you then become the author of it for the purposes of copyright. So, you know, in all spa- aspects, you basically own the rights to it rather than the artist, which is good if you pay the artist enough, right? And it offers you the ability to use uh, royalty payments or a flat fee or an hourly rate or any combination of those. So it's, it's pretty flexible and you're going to define specifically what the art that's being created is and all that. So yeah, it's definitely useful. And it's one of those things that a lot of people they're not really partners, but they're just kind of getting maybe someone they found on DeviantArt or something like that. You should have a contract there because you want to make sure that you own the rights. So let's see. Um, you've got a course that maybe we can talk about in the future that mm-hmm. you're kind of working on. Uh, we've talked about the blog. We've talked about your podcast. We've talked about you being uh, the game lawyer. And we've talked about the website for contracts. Is there anything I'm kind of missing before we wrap up? Because we're getting close. To, I know we're getting a little short on time. I want to make sure we've covered everything that an, an indie game designer and and or somebody using Kickstarter might might want to seek you out for. <laughs> I think that's about it. I mean, <laughs> for the for the course, what I'm planning to do with the course is basically take you from answer those two big questions. Basically, how do you find the time to develop a game and how do you do the marketing and also sort of deal with the legal and the business issues throughout the process. So it'll be, you know, from the beginning to the end, right? Lead you through the whole process of, of getting your game out there and hopefully making it successful. I mean, nothing is guaranteed, but you can definitely hedge your bets a little bit and, and try to make it as successful as possible. And if people are looking to talk to you, Zachary, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, my website is streetbecklaw.com, but you can actually go to gamelawyerblog.com. That's the easiest. Gamelawyerblog.com. And as always, I will, of course, put the uh, links in the show notes that we've talked about this evening. Much appreciated. So that people can check that out. If uh, if you can't remember, you're trying to think about it later, definitely come back, check out the show notes on the uh, website, and you can click over and check out all of the awesome things that Zachary does. I uh, 
definitely want to give a nice shout out to the podcast Legal Moves and not just because he's going to have me on <laughs> because again that's that's one give him the download you don't have to listen yep. <laughs> but but he's had some really great guests on and he's talked about some really cool things and I'm personally kind of glad to see your podcast in the gaming space uh giving a new perspective and I think it's interesting and ambitious of you to do a weekly because uh, uh, even though <laughs> I made a huge mistake, no, I even know. though I, I tend to put out a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. I, I actually do a weekly now, but that's that's the Game Crafter uh, okay. official podcast. That one we do weekly now. And it, uh, when we first started out, JT wanted to have it biweekly, and then he decided that there was enough content to do weekly. But that is... Uh, Man, that's a that's a lot of work to make sure that comes out every week. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I'm trying. It, it may go to biweekly at some point, but for now, I, I have enough content and enough interviews lined up that I can keep it going. So definitely check out Legal Moves and check out some of the topics that get covered there. And of course, the blog. And if you're an indie publisher or looking for contract advice, definitely check out the site for IndieGenerator.com. Yep. Again, it's going to save you a lot of headaches in the long run. I think because yeah. there are a lot of people that I talk to and, I, and a lot of people that are trying to piecemeal together contracts and that doesn't always go real well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> if you need something special, you know, contact me. That's fine. We yes. can do a free consultation. I didn't mean to pitch myself so much in this, but yeah, it's uh, a, <laughs> I definitely, I do free consultations for any developer. So we can talk for 15 to 30 minutes and, and we'll get an idea of what you need. It's very acceptable for you to be pitching yourself because that's one All of right. the reasons I brought you on. I wanted to make sure <laughs> okay, that people, people understand that you're out there and you have services that they can take advantage of. And I think you and I could talk about certain topics forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you and, on my show. How about that? Yeah, exactly. So yep. we'll definitely be touching base again in the very near future. But I just think it's it's really cool, kind of what you're bringing to the industry, and you're you're kind of approaching something. You know, again, from an aspect of not somebody I typically talk to, right? I mean, you're not mm-hmm. uh, you're not doing a project right now. You're not um, starting up a game publishing company. You're not doing a comic or a video game, but you have. A, a very necessary and needed tie-in to not only the gaming industry, but the Kickstarter side of things as well. So I think it's really yep. cool to kind of get you on. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, and thank you for the kind words. Appreciate right, it. Man. All right. So once again, again, Zachary, thank you very much for coming on and, and having this conversation with me. Hopefully it wasn't too painful. No, it was great. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. There you go. This has been another interview and we will be back with more interviews in the very near future between myself and Paul. And like I said, I actually have a few more people that I need to kind of reach out to and, and get some time set up for, but there's going to be almost like a little mini series, uh, that we're going to do that isn't talking to necessarily creators, but people that creators might want to know about for the crowdfunding side of things. So with that, I will talk to you very soon. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Rolling Dice and Taking Names, a podcast by guys who have a passion for tabletop games and happen to have mics. They discuss all forms of tabletop gaming from board games to miniatures to RPGs. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.